For over 5,000 years of documented history, people have been using the cannabis plant as medicine. From ancient Chinese medical journals to the modern-day dispensaries, cannabis and its many medical uses have found their way to every continent on Earth. Today, as the prohibition against this plant is slowly being lifted around the world and our technological capacity grows exponentially, we finally have the opportunity to discover what this plant is truly capable of. Please join me, Matthew Myro, as I speak with the remarkable innovators working at the cutting edge of these discoveries. This is the Edge of Cannabis Medicine. This episode is brought to you by MJ.com and their brand new medical platform that they're rolling out in the San Francisco Bay Area. Have you visited MJ.com? MJ.com is the most trusted information source for all things cannabis. Whether you're a medical marijuana patient looking to find the right doctor or a consumer looking for exclusive savings at your favorite dispensary, MJ.com can bring you your favorite products right to your front door. Or maybe you're just a lover of the cannabis culture looking for the best original articles, interviews, podcasts, and educational information. MJ.com is the number one place to find everything you need. Visit MJ.com today. Hello, beautiful people, and welcome to the latest episode of the Edge of Cannabis Medicine podcast. We are here to bring you the best information possible about cannabis as a medicine. Every week, we have clinicians, researchers, cultivators, people doing incredible things within this industry to bring this medicine and information about this medicine to you, the listener. And thank you so much for being here, for listening. I want to give a quick shout out to Local Juan and Gemstone Review, both giving me the most wonderful reviews and five stars. And these reviews really help get more people to listen to the show, more people involved in this industry. It's really important. So if you can just take a moment, head over to Apple, head over to Stitcher, wherever it might be that you're listening to this podcast and give me a rating. Let me know how things are going for you. Let me know how I'm doing and how I can improve. It would be wonderful. Every last rating helps. All those stars create a beautiful galaxy for us to be able to keep this information coming to you. And this week, bringing you another amazing guest, Eric Forrington. He is a breeder in Colorado, and he is really working on some incredible cutting-edge technologies to create better products, better medicine for the patients. And we also dive a little bit into what it takes to breed success in yourself as a parent and an individual And I really enjoyed this episode, and you will too. Please welcome Eric Forrington. I am Matthew Myro, and this is the Edge of Cannabis Medicine podcast. Today's guest is Eric Forrington. A native of Colorado, Eric is a cannabis breeder, researcher, and entrepreneur with over 20 years of cannabis experience and currently serves as the Director of Plant Breeding and Genetics for Foundation Seeds. In 2010, he founded 303 Seeds, the first fully licensed cannabis seed company in Colorado. 
Eric has been breeding with CBD and alternative cannabinoids since 2011 and began to focus on low-THC cultivars that qualified as hemp with Colorado's 2015 hemp bill. He has consulted with some of the largest cannabis companies in the world on their breeding programs and now focuses on genomic breeding tools for better cannabis. Eric, welcome to the show. Matthew, thank you so much for having me. Man, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. So let's dive in. I'd love to hear a little bit about your background and how you found your way into the cannabis field. Sure. So uh, I think my initial experiences with cannabis came like most people in their teens. And uh, I found anecdotally that there was a lot of efficacy to to using cannabis and, and I think at the time in the 90s, uh, hip hop music and cannabis were, you know, one in the same. And, and so it was not only very cool, uh, but also had a lot of medicinal value that I, I think we're only just beginning to touch on. But from a very early um, friendship with cannabis, that built into just my general nature to go down the rabbit hole. Um, I'm the, the son of mechanic, um, and, and kind of grew up with that scientific, take it apart, understand it, know it, put it back together, um, kind of mentality. And so pretty much everything I approach, I, I, I take that, that mindset with me. And so the next step, obviously from consuming cannabis is, is growing cannabis, um, and that that happened in my late teens as I got out onto my own and, and was living on my own and had spaces where I could cultivate cannabis, um, obviously at that time still still illicitly. But um, I, I just wanted to explore the plant and really understand this this amazing medicine that I knew uh, impacted me. And, and also Colorado is is kind of famous for for having this kind of early adoption of cannabis and, and even pre, uh, medical cannabis, it was still very open and, and there was, there was a lot of cannabis use going on. So there was a lot of these anecdotal stories that I was getting that kind of solidified my mindset that, you know, cannabis had a lot of value both for me and for others. And, you know, I, I think it's been 20 plus years of, of exploring and, uh, I was just so very fortunate to to be in Colorado as the the whole revolution happened, so to speak. Right, we were the first state to really implement that rigorous businesses allowed medical cannabis bill. Also, the first state to implement rec. I had a financial and kind of analytical background in college while I was growing and and learning more about the plan. I was also um, studying financial analysis and markets analysis and, and started a, a real estate company right out of college, uh, doing real estate appraisal. And so I really had this kind of rich background in, in gathering data and, and analysis and putting that all into a comprehensive document that, that a reader could take and get some value from. So, I think breeding cannabis after you start growing it, I think the next kind of logical step once you get as far down the rabbit hole and growing as you can is is the breeding component. You know, what are the genetics that are going into what I'm growing? I'd like to understand the, the parent, the parental lineage. I'd like to understand a lot more about what's going into my cereal. 
Um, I, I, as a kid, I was always reading the ingredient labels on cereal boxes. And, and I remember clearly, you know, putting cereal boxes together on the table and, and analyzing which one has more riboflavin and which one has more fiber. And, and so I've always just kind of had that mindset. And, and so cannabis was a good fit for me. And, you know, back to Colorado and the kind of development of the business structure of it um, with the being in the real estate market. That crashed in 2009, 2010. So the real estate appraisal business in particular was was kind of blamed, took a took a fair share of the blame for that market correction or or crash. And and so at that point, I was thinking, um, if this doesn't work out, where are the opportunities? What you know, where am I passionate? What what would I want to be doing? And I was growing, I was breeding, I had this great hobby project going. Um, I was I was learning at this massive rate and medicinal cannabis came online and, and dispensaries started to open. And so I was going into those dispensaries and looking for genetics and looking for people that knew genetics and understood genetics. And I think those people even now are kind of few and far between, but I wasn't finding what I was looking for. And specifically, there was almost no one selling seed of any kind. Um, and so as a business opportunity, I, I saw a way to take my passion for the plant, my passion for breeding and and kind of being transparent with parental lineages, which at the time I don't think was common because breeders really wanted to keep what they were doing a secret. Um, and, and that really bothered me because I, I wanted to read the package and I wanted to understand what was in it and where it came from and how many generations. And so that led to 303 Seeds and and led me to this whole interaction with a with an amazing group of of professionals that, you know, I've, I've kind of gone down the road with and including Michael Williamson, who you uh, who, who you interviewed. So it's really been just an amazing, amazing journey. And so I'm really curious. So with the 303 seeds, how were you able to start breeding these really high resinous flowers that it seems like it was a, a novel thing at the time? Well, I think my my particular issue with genetics at the time was most of them were coming from Amsterdam and from Spain. And the THC content was in the teens. And I think that was very common for genetics at that point. But there were a few examples of plants in the state that uh, in the states that really had a higher cannabinoid percentage and when you when you got them when you experienced them it was it was just far superior to to what we had been purchasing from from overseas so really i took a combination of of genetics that came through california into canada and canada had a system where they were able to export seed as souvenir legally to the states. And so I was able to get genetic material from high cannabinoid content plants and go through, do some phenotypical selection. Um, in, in the early days, get feedback from, from friends and family who were also consuming. That was really the only way. Later on down the road, we started testing for cannabinoids in the dispensary system. And my relationships with the dispensaries and with the grows within the licensed cannabis system allowed me to have access to this whole new set of data, um, cannabinoid testing, terpene testing, and then also on the back end, patient feedback from people who were putting this flower on their shelves 
um, and feedback from extractors when extractors were making products. So at that point, I was able to actually take data from the market and incorporate it into breeding programs and then really start to scale up and produce these production-ready genetics that, that improved people's bottom lines right away. Oh, that's fascinating. Fascinating. And I wonder if it improved people's health beyond just the bottom line as well. You know, it's it's interesting that you say that because obviously that um, I think that's really where my heart lies is is impacting people's health. But at the end of the day, also, if you want to do this for a living, you you have to have a business mindset. And so that that's really where I think my background has has allowed me to kind of flex and 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 be really adaptable. Um, and, and and it's just been really fun learning these different skill sets and applying them in different areas. And it's, it's really been a wild ride. Yeah. I think it was Michael that actually said that if you're not profitable, you're not helping anybody. And especially in this industry, it's so true because we're not getting money from anybody. It's, we have to do pretty much everything on our own. And if you're not profitable, you're not going to be able to get that end product to the patient. That's right. And, and on the same page, if you're not and I think Michael was especially keen on this. If you're not putting out a product that the patients want, it's going to be really difficult to be profitable. So I think, you know, my pitch as a geneticist has always been that genetics will will improve your bottom line. They'll, they'll improve your patient's health. And, and, you know, Michael also brought this up. They'll distinguish you from market competitors when times get tough. So it's, it's interesting. I heard, um, I heard one of the Silicon Valley guys that's, that's deep into AI make a, make a comment that in the 20 years he's been developing technology, his pitch has never changed. And, and I felt, you know, that just resonated so strongly with me because that that's, that's my story in a nutshell. My pitch has always been the same. It's just been interesting to see cannabis as a business develop to the point where operators now see the value um, and investors see the value in developing proprietary genetics. Yeah. And so will you take me down that path a little bit of developing these genetics? Like what's the process that you go through? And I, yeah, we'll start there. And I want to move into what the evolution of 303 Seeds has been. Sure. So, you know, I think really in in the genetics development world, what you really have to understand is um, the product that's on the market currently. Right. And, and your client is hopefully going to have a set of products that they see as their competitors or a set of products that they have themselves that they'd like to improve or enhance. And so really from a from a breeding standpoint, what you want to understand is the specific traits within the product profile that that they're looking to improve. And then you build a new product profile. And, and it's, it's got to have a stage gate system where you can measure gains and losses. And uh, breeding is really fascinating because there's so many components that, that go together into a product. And it, it's such a detailed operation that there's so many, it's like a galaxy of things happening at once. So we talk about things like, like breeding galaxies, and that really is the case. When you alter one thing in a plant, uh, it may change something else that you really liked. So there's all of these different components that go into creating a, a new product that fits within that product profile um, and then will eventually replace the existing genetic or the competing 
genetic that that you were looking to replace within the market. And are you doing research as well as um, like specific terpenoids and cannabinoids and what kind of what kind of ailments they might leave and things like that? Absolutely, and that and that's the the most fun part is is getting feedback um, on specific genetics and how that that chemical profile either interacts with the other typical chemicals within cannabis, the cannabinoids and, and some of the other phytochemicals, or how it impacts something else within the body, say absorption or uh, appetite or any of these things. So I don't think at this point now you can do anything with cannabis and not be involved in some kind of research, right? That's the, that's the most amazing thing about where we are is it's ground level. So everything we do is new. And if you're not doing research and you're not actually recording that data and putting that data into a comprehensive package, then you're missing out on, on a lot of the fun in this. So I think I already know the answer to this question, but where do you stand on the isolates versus the, what they call the entourage effect, or some people call the ensemble effect? Well, I think, you know, first and foremost, each is going to have its use. Um, and, and so I think I'm a lot more comfortable today having, having been in business, um, with, a basically we, we manufacture chemicals, right? We produce plants that have a, have a set of chemicals that the consumer wants. So in that sense, we're, we're basically chemical manufacturers, albeit we're growing and, and doing things in a different way. I think that if the consumer has to be introduced to, cannabinoids through single molecule products, that's okay. Because we just, I just want the light to come on for people. Right. And, and then, you know, it's, it's, it's the evolution of a lot of different products out there. We use beer or, or alcohol as an example sometimes. So when you first start drinking beer, you're drinking light beer or the cheapest beer you can get your hands on typically. And, and as your palate grows and matures, you start to explore new flavors and new tastes. And you may find niches where you stay for a while and, and you may shift around to different flavors. Um, personally, I love IPA because you know, hops is, is such a close cousin of cannabis and, and it imparts this, this, uh, it, it, it impacts my palate in a way that, that really brings me joy. And I think that's what people are looking for in some of these plant expressions as well. Yeah, definitely. I had that same experience with my first IPA. I was like, Oh, it tastes like cannabis. Right. This is incredible. Your first, your first IPA that didn't give you bitter beer face. Right. Because there, <laughs> there was that for a while in the, in the, in the early nineties. But, um, to go back to your question, I think obviously once you understand how cannabinoids can impact your system, then the exploration then begins and you can start to take, hey, CBD and THC together, even if it's just a single molecule combination of it, that's going to get you farther than just taking either of those alone. And then you can work into terpenes. And, and so really, I'm, I'm for education. And if the light has to come on through pharma and the single molecule uh, way of doing things, and it does, it's clear, that's how we've structured our, our laws. So I'm I'm much less uh, averse to that now because there's just no fighting the law. Right. And that's uh, the story that I was told was about willow bark and its traditional use for pain. And then Bayer came along and 
nailed, nailed it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. It's, I mean, it seems like cannabis is going to go down that path eventually we're, we're probably still at least a decade away from that, but it's going to be going down that path. And, and I think the other fascinating thing being in Colorado is, is we've seen the evolution of the consumer, um, you know, go from, this niche group of people who were comfortable going and buying cannabis in stores. And that group was really small to begin with to a much larger group that then was able to adopt recreational cannabis. And then we saw this market that just kind of homogenized people started making cheap flowers. So it's almost like your bud light because that's what your initial consumer wants. And and now we're seeing this shift back to craft cannabis and, and you can clearly see customers looking for something better, for something new, for a, a new experience. And so that that's where genetics comes in. And that's how you really help a business define their their model and and really enhance the bottom line and enhance the consumer's experience. Yeah, definitely. And something that I'm particularly fascinated by is the using the big pharma model to to grab, say, you know. 38% CBG and, and 22% THCA and then be able to create these different amalgamations of all the different chemicals for a pinpointed um, treatment plan. And you as a geneticist, you almost get to do that pre-pharma. I mean, it takes you a little bit longer because you have to stabilize the genetics over generations, but it, it's, it's fascinating to me that you're doing that now. On the on the cutting edge of the wave, yeah. absolutely. It's uh, I mean, it's just fascinating. Uh, I I enjoy it every day because it, it's certainly not for everyone. It's not stable. Things change. Um, you know, we have discussions all the time that a certain plan that we're putting together right now. You know, be aware that three months down the road, this plan is going to change, and and we may scrap this whole thing and shift in a completely different direction based on what the market's telling us, and so with cannabis in its infancy and especially the THC side still being illegal here federally in the States. Um, it, it's, you know, it's, it's always a shifting environment. Yeah. I hear that. And so is that why you changed over to foundation seeds away from 303 and coming back with 303? Just give me, tell me the story with the businesses right now. Yeah. So, you know, we understood pretty clearly early on that, that, THC was going to be regulated pretty heavily and that there was really no going away from that model. But in 2015, along with recreational cannabis, Colorado legalized hemp on, on its farm bill. And so we were the first state to go back to, you know, legal, at least within state guidelines, uh, hemp farming. And we had been doing CBD THC combo breeding within the licensed medical cannabis side, breeding CBD back into THC cultivars to, you know, create a different experience and, and do some of these different things with full spectrum that you and I were just talking about. And at that point in those trials for some of that new genetic material, we found lines that didn't express any THC or expressed minimal THC. And this was in 2012, so this was several years before the Farm Bill actually passed. 
But everyone knew there was going to be value in that germplasm moving forward and that someday there was going to be a use for it. So we played around with it. There were some breeding projects with it. We immediately introduced it into the fields in 2015 as soon as we were able to and, and got it scaled up and were able to actually get agronomic data with farmers. And so because THC is... Um, still not federally legal. And now CBD or hemp farming in general is federally legal. We created two separate companies to just, to just make those distinct. So the, the IP that we hold for, for hemp is separate from the IP that we hold for, for THC based cultivars. Smart move. Smart move. I've got some really smart business partners. I don't want to take credit <laughs> for 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 all of that. We've we've got an amazing team, and and I don't think we'd be where we are if if it wasn't really a a combination of minds all pushing in the the same general direction. Yeah, definitely. And I imagine that because of the quality of the genetics that you were producing and using, that like learning how to create these more resinous sort of strains. That must have had an immediate impact on the CBD economy out there because I mean, who with hemp, I mean, it was a lot of weird, straggly garbage for a hundred years. And and this was one of the most fascinating things because as as Michael will tell you, he did some of the original phenotype selection at Kind Love for for this genetic line. That's where we found it. He thought that that one of these cultivars specifically was going to be the highest in THC, and it actually didn't have any THC in it at all but it had 22% CBD. Um, and so we were really excited with what we had and, and kind of the variation in our genetic material and what we were able to do with that for patients, um, I think, initially. Great. So we're going to switch gears just a little bit. And you shared a really beautiful story about a five-year-old girl that you were able to work with her parents and with the epilepsy. Would you mind sharing that story with the listeners? Sure. Um, so this is in that same point that we were just discussing in time where, where we were starting to play around with this CBD rich material. And we were seeing studies coming out um, that CBD was impacting epileptic seizures. Uh, and, and there were people moving to Colorado from all over the place with, with kids that were, you know, having hundreds of seizures a week and, and were basically brain dead and they couldn't find a pharmaceutical option that that treated their children. And so I think as a, a young parent at that point in my life, I I just had to, to have some kind of impact on that if I could. And, you know, I, I joke that the world just kind of evolved around me. I've never really had to go far from from where I grew up to to get to where I wanted to be. But um having all of these parents and, and a lot of them having uh, financial hardships because of the amount of money that they spent on their children being in the emergency room from these seizures, um, it, it was really heartbreaking. And so we started producing CBD-rich cannabinoid extract and giving it away and getting some anecdotal feedback on how that worked for for their seizures. And I think in, in general, we got a lot of really good feedback, and specifically the case that you're talking about, um, this little girl was, I think they had diagnosed her as being partially brain dead. She was having multiple grand mal seizures a week. She couldn't really talk. 
She had some motor skills issues and, and she was five. She should have been chattering. She should have been running and jumping and playing. And, and she basically was so limited and her mom was so terrified that she was going to have another seizure that she didn't really have much of a life. And so early in this relationship, getting her mom medicine, one of the first things she remarked to me was, you know, I heard my daughter laugh for the first time yesterday. And, and again, as a parent, you know, this, it just breaks my heart. And at that point, you know, we, we talked early on that I was looking for what would I do if my other job didn't work out. Um, and this, this just sold me on, you know, cannabis is my definite major purpose. Impacting people's lives is, is my definite major purpose. And, and cannabis is going to be the, the easiest and best way for me to impact someone's life. I was already knee deep in it. So, I mean, it, it, it was the light bulb going on for me that, you know, it, it was more about impact um, than it was about anything else. And at, at that point, I think we had all we had all talked about putting together something that was worth money in the long run and that we could potentially make money on, because I think that's a lot of people's goals, young and young and old. You, you want to be you want to be rich. You want to make money and be comfortable. But, you know, this solidified for me that that no matter how long it took, um, that, that this was meaningful and that I didn't really need to get paid from it for it to have a, a massive impact on my life. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, my so, pleasure. Speaking of the kids, so you have children of your own. How, how, what do they think about what you do? Do they know what you're up to? Is is cannabis a taboo subject in your home? Like, tell me about that a bit. Oh, Matthew, this is, uh, you know, it, it, it makes me almost glow inside to talk about it because cannabis was so taboo for me as a child. My, my parents both came from very strict backgrounds where, I mean, I, they both barely drank. Um, they, there was some, some tobacco use, but even that was pretty limited, but any kind of drug was it. I mean, it was absolute, it was almost like Satan, um, himself had come and given it to you. So, uh, my, my parents did not appreciate my early love of, of cannabis and my, my exploration down that road. And, um, I, I found out pretty early on that, you know, I was going to have to go my own way if, if I was going to make it and, and still also have a relationship with cannabis. They, they made, they made it pretty clear early on that that just wasn't going to be a part of their lives. And so I was very fortunate, I think, looking back to, to have to go out and succeed. I had some great friends, um, and, and my, my best friend's parents took me in and, and kind of put me up and helped me out while I was trying to, trying to figure it out. And then I, I lived on my own as early as 17. So having children now and being able to introduce them to cannabis as something that's not demonized, that's not ostracized is, is just, it makes me so happy. Um, and so no, they, they've known from early on, but there are hard discussions, um, because we've got we've got companies and 303 seeds, for example, my my son wanted to put a 303 seed sticker on his water bottle. And, and you know, I, I it made me really happy on one hand. And, and on the other hand, I had to have a conversation with him and tell him that, hey, this is an adult use thing and, and you're 11 and 
you're, I, I wouldn't let you put uh, a Budweiser sticker on your water bottle any more than I'd let you put a 303 seed sticker on your water bottle. Uh, foundation seeds now, that's that's hemp. And, and so we're talking about something completely different there where, where you know, we can explore and have a conversation about it. And so, yeah, they've, they've both been to the hemp facility in Boulder where we produce all of our feminized seed. Um, it's not restricted the way that the way that THC cannabis is. So they're they're allowed to come in and, and see what's going on and, and actually understand it. And so for me, it's really been a joy. Yeah, I think that's so beautiful. The, anytime kids get around nature is a good thing and allowing them to have the experience of watching a plant go from seed to flower is a beautiful experience no matter what the plant is i think it teaches a kid a lot so good for you I'm man. So, i'm so fortunate to have um in my background my my grandmother my mom um, my my great-grandfather everyone was a green thumb so I, I think that just got passed down to me and i've i've been so blessed by plants in in my life i love growing my own stuff um, in terms of food, we've we've got a big set of seedlings all getting ready to go out into the garden as as soon as we can uh, kind of guarantee we're not going to get hailed on. Colorado's a little notorious for the hail. <laughs> yeah. So you mentioned feminized seeds. What is the process of of feminization? And I've heard different things about um, the end product and how they vary. And just take me down the road and the evolution of that. So. Feminized seed basically is eliminating the male chromosome from the pollen source, which typically means using a female to produce pollen. Um, and, and it first happened in the early 90s in Amsterdam with some of the Dutch uh, seed breeding companies. And one of their breeders in general was letting plants flower out for a few weeks longer than he typically would to see how mature they would get just kind of as a scientific thing and noticed at the very end of their cycle that they started to produce pollen. They started to produce male reproductive organ. And, and I think that's natural also in the wild. If you've got a wild strand of marijuana and for some reason, it's pretty rare. But if for some reason there isn't a male, it's very typical for the female to want to reproduce. And and nature is smart. There there's a there's an inherent genius in nature that I don't think we we give enough credit to. But uh, the the females will some of them will produce enough pollen so that the strand continues, so that there's seed for that next generation. And so it's very common, even in a in a commercial cannabis setting where it's all females. You've got these giant rooms of female cannabis plants that some of them will express some of that herma hermaphroditic trait at the end. Oh, interesting. So then you segregate those out, and do they become your pollen producers from there? You know. Not necessarily. That's where it started. And and then I think agriculturally, there was a process utilizing chemicals, right? And so once we knew that the female would do this, specifically a production strain that someone would want to breed with, then, then we started exploring some of these chemical options for stressing a plant into producing pollen. And that's, that's what we do today. We take, a, we take a chemical combination of silver nitrate and sodium thiosulfate. And in combination, those two cause a, a cellular shift in the plant. And it stresses it to a certain level to where it, it produces almost all male flowers. Wow. Fascinating. 
Very fascinating. Thank you. Appreciate it. I've always been wanting to know about that. I really appreciate that. No problem. Cool. Um, let's see. So there was one last thing. So I asked you a little bit about things that you believe bring success to your life. And you mentioned goals and meditation and breathing, and those are big parts of my life as well. So I'm just curious, uh, what's that like for you? Uh, take me through your morning, if you will. Yeah. So I think I, I've heard this from a number of successful people, whether it's in podcasts or interviews, um, you know, the most highly successful people in the world have a morning routine and being a young parent, you know, I found myself kind of waking up maybe five minutes before the kids did and kind of getting thrown into this kind of stampede to get things ready and done and, and get them fed and clothed and properly outfitted into school. And, and so I found myself at a point where I was, I was, I was more frustrated and aggravated than I thought that I should be. And when I took a second and reflected it, it was because I wasn't giving myself enough time to, to, to get up, to get my mind straight and and I heard, I believe it was probably a Joe Rogan podcast, and they were talking about meditation and, and talking about this benefit first thing in the morning. And and so I began to explore that. And and really now it's it's hard for me not to be up by 530. Uh, I think people, most of the people I know think I'm crazy that, that I get up at, at 530 and I go through... Uh, a few sets of, of really deep breathing. The, the Wim Hof method is, is, you know, something that, that I ascribe to. And, uh, it's, you know, it's just, a it's something that, that allows me when my kids pop out of bed to, to be there in a more mindful way. Um, it, it affects my whole day and that I'm able to be more mindful and aware because, you know, honestly, we're, we're in difficult times. Um, I, I joked earlier that, that I'm in a kind of ever changing business that's like standing, uh, almost standing on a, on a wet rotten wood platform floating in a storm, but throw COVID in on top of that and kids at home, you know, it's, it's really amazing what taking a little bit of time and focusing your mind and just listening and, and not judging. I think the biggest thing for me and and one of the hardest things for most people when they start to meditate or start any practice is is just that that western tendency to judge themselves as not being successful at it the first time or the third time or having some kind of preset judgment about what meditation is going to be for them what they think they're going to get out of it and for me being able to release the judging and and the labeling has really been empowering because I'm able to just accept things as they come and, and not get down on myself for, Oh, having that thought and getting lost in that thought for five minutes during meditation. Cause it happens. And, and my mind is still a crazy, crazy mess. So if I can get, you know, 30 seconds of clarity in a 20 minute session in the morning, that's a win for me. Yeah, definitely. I've heard it said that there's probably about 10 people in the world that are good at meditation. Nobody's good at meditation. It's, it's right. That's it's the point a journey. It. It's the point. It's, of it. it's a lifelong journey. Yeah. So yeah. no, I'm, I'm, I'm very blessed that, that I was able to through learning and through diving really deep into things like alternative medicine and alternative ways of thinking. Uh, I've really cannabis 
was the was the catalyst, so to say. We've got a company called Catalyst, but cannabis really was the catalyst that opened me up to things maybe different than what they're telling you. And and there may be other options out there. Um, and you know, my my parents weren't able to teach these kind of tools in the 80s and 90s. They didn't have this kind of access to information and or even the time to go and explore it, right? That they, they were just trying to stay afloat. So it's it's great for me to be able to teach my kids some of these things. And we do mindfulness and meditation with the kids. You know, you got to keep your expectations pretty low, but just planting the seed. For me, it's about planting the seed and taking care of that and and making sure that that it's, you know, fully grown in them as they go into adulthood. That That's really my goal. Yeah, that's a great goal. And I think that that's, it's so amazing to me speaking to different people in all walks of life and in all different places in the world and, and in different businesses from high level entrepreneurs all the way down to the guy on the street corner. And a lot of them chose the path that they're on and chose the things that they like to discover because of cannabis. It's it, you know, not only is it a physical medicine, it's a mental medicine and a, a soul medicine. It's a controversial thing to say maybe, but it opens up something inside of people where they want to explore more about themselves, about the world around them. And I, I love it. And, and it brought you to meditation. It brought me to meditation as well. And, and I feel like as a cultivator myself, I could see in my product the different times when my meditation practice was stronger or when it was weaker. I could I could watch the outcome because my presence level, like you were saying, goes down when I'm not taking that time to train myself in presence. So Plants know. They seem uh, to. Have you found that experience it, it, with yours as well? Oh, absolutely. Plants know. Um, I, I I think there's there's a reason that I've been able to successfully find uh, cultivars that worked well in breeding programs that that had uh, traits that were able to be passed on down. And, and that's because at, to a certain extent, if you if you listen to what the plant's telling you, then, you know, you, you can understand it. So now I'm I'm uh, absolutely a believer in, in they're alive. Right. They're alive. And there's so much that that we with our eyes and ears and kind of external senses have limited ourselves to in terms of our thinking. So, you know, quantum physics, uh, changed everything for me. And, and as I, it's going to be probably a lifelong journey with quantum physics, the same way it will be with cannabis. But as I understand it more and more, the energy that we're all made of, you know, there, there's so much more to it that we don't see, hear, smell, and and touch that that's out there that that's available. Absolutely, absolutely, and and the forest, the amount of communication going on within a forest, and the the mycelial networks that are allowing trees to talk to the ferns, and the ferns to talk to the river, and it's it, it's amazing. The more we dive deep into the science and the more that we get more uh, astute with our scientific methods, the more we learn that there are other forms of intelligence that have really amazing ways of communicating that we never knew about. And we just killed most of them. Yeah. It's uh, it, it's a wild thing. And, and I just wonder and, and really pray um, that, that there is that kind of awakening at some point and, and that at some point this, becomes a mindset that that my children have that once the uh the oil barons are gone 
Um, I, I think you hope better for every generation, but it, it's, it's kind of a dark time where, you know, environment takes a back seat to, to making a dollar. And, and I just really pray that people wake up to, to what nature provides and, and what we'd be missing if, if we don't see that. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I can see that you're doing your part and giving that information to your kids and passing that along and every little bit matters. And every new human that understands a little bit more and has a little bit more compassion, it, it makes a difference. All right. So I got one last question for you. Absolutely. What is the one thing within the medical cannabis industry that you would really like to see change? Oh, that's a great question, Matthew. You know, I, I think federal legalization in the U.S. just has to happen. If there was one thing and, and you could flip a switch for me tomorrow... Um, that, that would change a lot of the direction that, that we're kind of going in right now. I think a federal legalization bill would be one of those, or at the very least, um, and I've heard this argument, and I, and I can't discount this argument, uh, a medical use, a, a, a federal medical use bill that allows for the scientific study of cannabis within the United States safely for universities and, and private research labs so that we can really, I mean, one of the best things for me has been seeing the amount of minds from other fields that are drawn to cannabis, uh, the PhDs, the doctors who really are fascinated by leading edge technology and want to understand it and have similar mindsets to my own and, and want to come in and improve and, and be a part of something so new and so fascinating and so potentially impactful on, on people's health. So for me, if we could just get all of the scientists together um, with a federal bill so that we could, even if it's just a research bill, to allow for the research study so that the doctors can understand what they're dealing with. Cause it's, it's one of the most frustrating things when you're talking to a doctor that isn't open to discussing cannabis with a patient or necessarily even with you on a private level. And, and all they want to see is double blind placebo trials that, that show them the efficacy. And, and I get that. I, it, it annoyed me again, like, like single molecule annoyed me at first, but now I, you know, you have to follow these protocols and COVID has made it that much more clear, right? We can't just jump on something and, and say that it, it's got efficacy until we actually have the data. And so for me, the, the federal government could allow us to start looking at the data and that, that would impact, I think my life and more people's lives, uh, the quickest. Yeah, it would it would have an immediate impact on 100 million people in this country because they would have access to real data and real information about medicine that could be helpful for them because it's almost a panacea what we're finding with this plant. Oh, and, and as new cannabinoids start to come out, I, I think we haven't even we haven't even touched the surface with the cannabinoids we've identified, much less the set of, of phytochemicals that we haven't identified um, and and. I, it's going to be a wild ride. I'm, I'm so excited to be a part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. And I'm excited that you're a part of it. And now that we get to be friends and do this together, it truly has been an honor to speak to you, Eric. This has been a lot of fun. It went in all sorts of fun directions that I didn't know it was going to go. And, and it, uh, it brings me great joy to know that there's scientists like you pushing this industry forward. So thank you for your time and thank you for just being you. 
Matthew, the pleasure is all mine. I appreciate your time and uh, your dedication to the plant and getting the knowledge out there. You know, you're one of the you're one of the people that helps me water my seeds as as I plant them in in people about cannabis. So I I really appreciate what you do. Great, thank you. Well, we'll keep doing it. Take care. You as well. Thank you. There we are, friends. Another episode in the bag. That was Eric. What'd you think? I love Eric. What a beautiful man. I I love the way that he's raising his kids to not demonize cannabis. I love the way that he's just followed the path from high school all the way up through his professional career to want to do more, to want to have more impact for people and always trying to find a place where he can offer the most change. And he found cannabis to be that place and constantly trying to grow himself and be a better parent, be a better man and be a better breeder to keep bringing better and better products and medicine to the people. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Eric as much as I enjoyed having it. And please, if you can, take a moment, head over to Apple or Stitcher or Spotify or wherever it is that you're listening to this and leave me a review. Let me know how it's going and I will absolutely read every single one of them and even give you a little shout out on the show. So until next time, my friends, Stay healthy, and please, please enjoy yourself. This Edge of Cannabis Medicine podcast is copyright EM2P2 Inc. 2020. All rights reserved. Podcast use and availability is governed by terms and disclaimers available at edgeofcannabismedicine.com forward slash terms. I'm your host, Matthew Myro, and thank you for listening.